Something really sweet about worshiping together like that, isn't it? Yeah, what a great morning. I'd just like to take you back to my high school days and one particular evening. I had gotten my driver's license and my dad had a pickup truck and I had just learned about a new technology. We lived in a city in Polk County. Now, that's not saying much. It was actually the biggest community in the whole, in the whole county. But that wasn't saying much either in northern Wisconsin. But we did qualify as a city and, and we had one street light, it kind of flashed, no green, yellow, red light. But, and then we had all of the, 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 the main street had all of these lights along it. So it looked pretty impressive for a tiny little town. This is what I learned. And if you took one of those Megatron spotlights and you shined it right above the city lights in town, you could fool the light and it would actually think it was daylight and the lights would go off. And they were mercury vapor lights. So if you hit it and it went off, it stayed off for a while. So I encouraged my younger brother and his friend to jump in the back of the pickup truck and take that spotlight. And we drove down Main Street in St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin, and we hit every single street light along the way. And by the time we were done, we turned around, we looked back through town, and we said, it's never looked like that before in the middle of the night. It was just pitch black. It was like, we are a big deal. <laughs> Look at what we were able to accomplish. We are somebody's. Until the town squad car poked its nose out and we just headed any way we could to get away from that. But you know, there was just kind of this sense of, hey, I might only be 16 years old, but I can make a difference in the world somehow. I don't think that any of us ever lose that desire, really, the sense of, can I make a difference in the world? In fact, we've heard with millennials, I just heard this this past week, that one out of four of them think someday they'll be famous. You can actually see some statistics here. I don't know how thorough that analysis is, but this is one of the, uh, st uh, one of the uh, uh, groups that just tries to kind of amass information on millennials. And this is some of it. There's this desire, actually, uh, to be famous. And it's a little bit easier. It's the lowest barrier to fame than there has ever been because social media makes it so possible. And you see that this is happening with millennials, and they're actually the possibility of it. But they also realize as you, you go down through what they might be famous for, the reality that being famous is only temporary. And if, if ever there was a, a, a season in which fame was temporary, it would have to be this one, right? I mean, the information stream goes by so fast. And part of the conversation for these millennials is not that they want to be a big deal, but they want their life to matter. That's really what it gets down to, actually. I want it to matter that I lived. I want somebody to be able to say to me, I'm glad you were alive. Uh, you made a difference in the world in some way. Because fame is fleeting, some of the focus has now turned to, well, being famous isn't really that wonderful. It just kind of comes and goes like that. But we all have a longing to pursue impact with our lives. It's true for millennials. It's true for all of us, really, isn't it? It will say, I want it to matter that I was actually alive and to pursue impact and what it looks like. And some of the phrases out there are pursuing impact where a person's life can be exponentially positive, that it can actually change things around them, around me in an exponentially positive way. We can look at moms, for example, and it's Mother's Day, we should, 
Talk about not having much fame, right? But being exponentially positive, the, the labors of your life and the nurture of your kids, the realization that they grow up and they have a life and they make a difference. And some of you are blessed with grandkids and you realize, wow, this can be exponentially positive, this thing that I have, this pursuit that I can have in my life. And the good news is this, is you don't have to be a mom, you don't have to have kids in order to live a life that's exponentially positive. In fact, our very calling as followers of Jesus is an invitation into a life that is characterized by exponentially positive results. So we look at our text this morning in 2 Corinthians, and you can even turn there in your Bibles, or you can see it right on the cover of our Connect this morning. We're going to be reading about the description of what God has called us to, the calling he's given us. We're going to look at the calling, and then we're going to look at the significance of it, and then we're going to look at the simple practical steps towards it, so that your life and mine can actually have a result, can make a difference that I bet you never even really thought about as much until now. So let's look at the text. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. We read these words. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We read through that and you say, wow, that sounds an awful lot like our vision statement, doesn't it? To bring every person to life in Christ. In fact, when we were praying through and wrestling through God, what is it you've called us to in our future? This was actually the text we spent considerable time in. What does it mean for us to be about this, for our calling as individuals and calling as a church to be a part of bringing every person to life in Christ, and it's a life that is transformative, that not only transforms us and reconciles us with God, but reconciles the world with God. This broken place, broken by rebellion and sin, transformed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the hope and the promise given to us that we could live in newness of life. You see, there it is, right there. That is our vision statement, to bring every person to life, this this relationship with God that characterizes our life in such a way that there's a sense of joy and peace and fullness that's a part of it. 
The old has gone, it says, and the new has come. Now, this isn't just simply talking about life in eternity. This is talking about life right now. Life that occurs now. The old has gone and the new has come. It's right here. So that's what we're invited into, this calling, actually, to invite other people into that, into that um, experience. Uh, and it's not only simply saying things, telling other people what Jesus is like. There's a role, actually, that we play in it. Did you see the term that Paul uses here to describe what our calling is like? He uses the word ambassador. And let me ask you a question about what an ambassador is like. And the ambassador to China, uh, where do, where do they, the ambassador to China live? You guys are brilliant. You actually came up with that quicker than first service did. Maybe it's the coffee. I mean, I just had to really coax it out of them. Everyone's looking like, is this a trick question or not? It is not a trick question. The ambassador to China lives in China. What does it mean for us to be ambassador of God? It means for us to actually live in the world that God wants to, wants to reach and wants to impact. You see, it's we live in the world. It's not just simply, and it is the things we say, but we actually live in those places today. Now more than any other time in all of Western history, people come into this, uh, the, the setting of the church not because they want a download of more information and facts. They want to see whether it's real or not. They want to know whether there's anything authentic about it. And this is what God has said is true, is that when Christ comes into a life, he transforms it in a way that people will see the authentic reality of the character of the living Christ lived out in our life. Not perfectly yet, but lived out in that way. So this is our calling, really, to, to live out our life with Christ in such a way that we can be a part of inviting others into that as well. That's our calling. What is the significance of it? This calling is... If somebody on the quest for president uh, has, uh, circuit has said, this calling is huge. Bernie Sanders says that, right? I could never quite get it like Bernie Sanders. This is huge, or huge is the way I would say it. This is a, this is a big deal. This calling that you and I have been given is actually to this, to contribute to the growing presence of the new creation on earth to actually live a life that is exponentially positive. This is what you and I get to do. Help usher in the new creation in the world that we live in. These are not mere words that we utter. This is a transformation. Creation is made new again. Reconciliation with God changes the world. Sociologists even have noticed this. They've noticed it when a Christ follower comes in and humbly lives in the context of other people, what happens in those communities. Sociologists actually have this term called redemption and lift. This is what they've noticed. People walk into communities that are messed up with strife and, and selfishness and everything that goes with that. And they live out and they speak of the character of who Jesus is. And they're people that actually make a decision to follow Jesus with their life. And you know what happens in their life? It is noticed even by sociologists. This redemption that even the text talks about transforms a life in such a way 
that it gets strong and healthy and whole in ways that it didn't before. And the lift part is they come to faith in Christ, they flourish so much so that they realize we don't have to live in this place anymore. In fact, we've got capacities to move and they actually relocate to places that are better for themselves and better for their families than the brokenness they came from. Redemption and lift. You know why it happens? It it happens because when someone comes to faith in Christ, they realize that they don't need to try to strive for peace and joy and fulfillment from any addictive impulses that are so common in places like that. And they realize, God can give me that peace. God can give me that contentment. I don't have to take from anyone else. I don't have to engage in an addictive behavior to somehow feel good about myself. I've learned through the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life that I can live differently. And the sense of caring for other people that is a part of what happens when Jesus comes into a life. And the sense of faithfulness and saying, I'm going to trust Lord and stick with this marriage or relationship or friendship. And when people begin to care about other people, they have collections of people around them that strengthen them and the group's redemption and lift. You see, even the sociologists notice the impact of people coming to faith in Christ and how it changes the trajectory of their life. Missiologists have noticed the same thing across the globe. I mean, we all know the stories of colonialism that were a large part of what missional efforts were like. I mean, you've read Poisonwood Bible, perhaps. But beyond those efforts to be colonizing influences, there were Christians that walked into those communities with a humble desire to be able to live among the people and serve them. And in those places where people went into those environments and they actually lived out and spoke of Jesus and his love for them and invited them to faith in Christ, that was transformational for communities. In fact, there was a study that was done two years ago by a sociologist that's looked at what's happened in communities of the world when the gospel comes into those places. Sociologist actually notes one place in particular on the continent of Africa, where there are two fairly significant cities located in about the same geographic proximity with the same natural resources available to them, completely different outcomes in what they're like. One city on one side of a border between two nations is still a place that is filled with corruption and decay. Life expectancy is short. Health issues are there. It is still a place that is just filled with discouragement and a mess. Just across the border from that city is another city like it in almost every way in terms of geography and placement, but not in terms of the quality of life in that place. They've looked at it and they've seen schools there and hospitals there and people that care for each other, infrastructure that is strong, and this sense of love for life and regard for one another, completely different in that regard. The sociologist says, what's the difference? The difference is 100 years ago, missionaries were able to go to one nation and not the other. And 100 years ago, people who loved Jesus walked into that community, listened to people's lives, shared the gospel of Jesus in a humble, sacrificial way, and it changed the trajectory of a city. His conclusion is this. So how does that happen? 
Here's how it happens. You go back 100 years and you, bring in, you, you send a person who loves Jesus and is concerned for the lost to go into that community 100 years ago to change it today. Well, we can't go back 100 years. But God's invitation to us is to be in places like that today. To be those people who actually live out what it's like to be Jesus followers. And it changes trajectories. You see, this isn't just simply the download of a set of facts. This isn't just simply a a decision to have allegiance to a particular theological construct. This is the living God changing a person's life in such a way that the trajectory of their life and their family and their community changes. How's that for exponential positive impact? (laughs) And then God says, do you want it? (laughs) To us. Do you want to be that? That's what our calling is. And that's the impact it will have if we actually decide to live into it. So then we get to the last part of it is, so how do we do it? It's really not that complicated. It is not that complicated to jump into this. What's the plan? I actually want to mention eight bullet points to you. And if you've got your uh, card in front of you that was on your seat, you might want to pull that out right now because there are eight bullet points that I want to share with you that can make it clear just how simple, how, how accessible this is for absolutely every single one of us. And it's not new. What I'm sharing with you is not new. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and this was God's plan from the very beginning. He gathered together a nation, called them Israel, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. When God, when God pays attention to a life, that's always his intention. I'm going to bless you. And he always does. The word bless means to enrich, to allow, to flourish, to be filled with life. And he says, I'm going to bless you, Israel. And I'm going to bless you not only because it benefits you, but because if I bless you, you will be a blessing to others. That was it. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others. I'm blessing you so that your life can have exponential positive impact. So this idea of blessing others is what we've been called to, not twisting other people's arms, not coercing, blessing. Blessing other people, enriching their lives. And here's how simple it is. We can actually take that word blessing and attach action steps to it that will assist us in doing something like that. The word be can stand for begin with prayer. To begin with prayer, to ask God, God, who is it that you care about that has proximity to my life in some way that I actually might be the means by which they fall in love with Jesus? Who is it? And that we actually listen to God and we ask him for that. Who is that person? And what can I do for them? I feel so inadequate. God, give me some capacity to enter into their life in such a way that it is life-giving. God does this. This is the only way it happens, actually. So that's how we start. We begin with prayer. I'm going to take 30 seconds here and not say a thing. The first six, 15 seconds, I'm going to give you time to think about this. Who is that in your life? Who might it be that you already know about that's connected with your life that is yet to realize the transforming impact of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who is it? What is the name? And if you're here with a friend or someone else, you might even look at one another and say, we know who the name is, don't we? 
We know who God has put in our life. And put that name down, or maybe a collection of them you can go back to later and say, God, what one might it be that you want me to seek your perspective on? So here you go, 15 seconds. Write a name or two down. Go ahead. You'll want a name. I, I, I just promise you, <laughs> this is so good. What God, what God can do through your life is breathtaking. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 15 seconds and I want, to ask, I want you to ask God, if you don't have a name, God, what might it be? Or if you do have one, God, help me. Give me guidance. Help me to know how it is that I can have an impact in their life in a life-giving way. Go ahead, take 15 seconds and just spend some time with the Lord. Okay, so that's where we start. We begin with prayer. We acknowledge before God that this is gonna be something that he is involved in. The second word is listen, to listen to their life, to hear the story. You know, oftentimes we think, well, what we do is we talk. An ambassador doesn't do that. Ambassador walks into a community and finds out what's going on here. What are the values of the people? What's the story of this people? What's their nation like? We can do the same thing. We need to do the same thing with others as well. I will tell you this. There are no boring people. There are no boring people. They're just boring questions. That's all. They're just boring questions. We um, celebrated Ken's homegoing, uh, Ken Burnett's homegoing this week, and several of us were here, and we looked at the display of Ken's life, and I said, who knew all of that stuff about Ken? I mean, we knew plenty about Ken, called Buzz, and that's an interesting story, how Ken got the name Buzz. But all of the other stuff that was a part of his life, and I, I promise you, there are no boring people in this room. There are no boring people in your life. There's just a need to listen to life in such a way that you can be enriched by it. I mean, what a cool gift God has given to us. Actually, make it part of our calling to listen to people's lives and find out things about them. And what a gift we give to actually be the person that says, tell me that story. Tell me what it is. When did you first? What was this like? What are your opinions about? What matters to you? And what a gift we can give to a person by just being the one, I'm going to be the one who listens. I want to know what your life is like. And the third one is to eat with them. See, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to eat? In fact, are we all planning to eat after this is over with? Yeah, absolutely. And there's something that is fun about eating together. I imagine some Mother's Day plans around here. What are you planning to do together? To eat together. Why? Because it's just so filled with life. You know, you ask someone, hey, let's go out and get a bite to eat together. You're saying something dramatically different than, hey, let's meet for a little while and download some information together. I mean, those of you that are high school students, when you say, hey, let's hang out afterwards and let's get something to eat, or why don't we share lunch together? There's something that is so rich and valuable that's basically saying, I want to be in your life and, and I want to be connected with you along the way. 
The next one is to serve them in a way that is meaningful to them. I want to go back to eat together for just a little bit. I want to tell you how rich this is. So we had an exchange teacher stay in our home for a while. His name was Muhammad, and he came from Egypt. And he lived with us for a while. I will just tell you that our conversations around the dinner table, even with our kids, were much richer than they were before Muhammad ever came into into the family. There's something so rich and remarkable about inviting people in. And Muhammad's perspective on the world and on politics and his experience of life, it was not only beneficial for Muhammad to be able to share that somebody cared, but we learned so much along the way. How much we miss without taking advantage of our calling in this regard. The next one is to serve them in a way that is meaningful to them, to to, 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 to be a part of their life in some way, in concrete and practical ways. We listen to their life. We become aware of their needs. And we don't do this because it's just a strategic thing to do. We do this because this is what Jesus always has done. He walks into the world to serve the world in the humblest way possible. And we don't do this because it's strategically clever. We do this because Jesus does it. Jesus served and we do. How easy it is for us to serve people who are just like us or part of us. Why don't we allow all of the people in our lives to be part of us in that way? In the ways that you would serve me, how about if we would serve others that way? How about if we did those kinds of things in connection with each other? to serve people in ways that are meaningful to, to them. When, I was, when Beth and I, when our kids were in the house uh, and growing up, our, our time together in the mornings was the most significant time of the day. You know, the eight evenings, there were all kinds of things going on, but we just, we just had this time together in the morning with our kids. Get them up, have breakfast with them, have devotions together, and pray together. Even when it started really early, we would do it in the car on the way to school. But those were just such important moments for us. And Beth called me. I was out of town for some reason. And she said, you know, there's this family at the elementary school. And the elementary school is just a block from where we were. This mom, two kids, and they need, a, they need someone to take care of their, she needs someone to take care of her son and daughter before school. And she said, we've kind of talked about it with the girls, and we really think that we would like to, to do it. But there's something you need to know. The way she's living her life is completely different than the way we live our lives. I mean, she's, she's living with this guy, and it's, it's a little bit of a messy deal. And uh, she said, are you okay with it? If you are, I am. And uh, we jumped in, and we had a young man and a young woman, little girl and boy, at our dinner ta- at our breakfast table every morning. And uh, we, we began to cherish that time together. They asked some pretty good questions when we would have our Bible studies together and when we would pray. And we began to, began to know each other and Tammy began to connect. At one point in time, Tammy said to Beth, you know, I'd really like to go to your church. How much does it cost to go to your church? That's kid, not kidding. And um, we, we got to be involved in their life because we got to serve them in such a practical way and it was just so good for us. Eventually, Tammy and Joe say, hey, Mark, we want to get married. Would you marry us? You see, 
There's something that is just so rich about trying to be as best we can just like Jesus, to serve them in a meaningful way. And the next S is story, to tell, to share your story in all of it. Not the, not the varnished one, not the one that is dressed up and pretty, but yeah, that one. The story about those challenges, those fears, those difficulties, the struggles you've been in in your life. Someone has said, if you share your successes with another person, you may, may very likely get a competitor. If you share your aches and your hurts with someone, you will very likely gain a friend. Just share and realize, my life is real. I, the only difference between you and me is I've noticed something about the possibility of what Jesus can do that you haven't noticed yet. Other than that, we're just the same. To be able to share and people see the authentic reality of people who give their life to Jesus, not because they're perfect, but because they go through the same life experiences that others do. And just the richness that comes as we share those stories with each other. And then the next one is to invite. Invite people into places of Christian community where you're involved with others. So you're going to go out and play golf? Why don't you just bring your friend from the neighborhood? Let's not just do this stuff together with people that we know we're going to share the same values with each other. There might actually be something more rich about an experience where somebody else comes into our group and asks questions that no one's really even kind of thought about or considered before. To invite them into those places that we're a part of and see, and see the impact that it can have. To have events with friends. What do you enjoy doing? Do it with those people. Remember when a young guy came to me, it was a dad, and his girlfriend, he just, he just didn't know what to do with her because she, was, she had decided to follow Jesus, and it seemed like it was real this time. Barry said, you know, Mark, he says, every other whim in her life, she gets these crazy ideas and she goes with them, but this one just seems like it's stuck. And I know you're a religious person. Would you just kind of explain this thing to me because I just don't get it. And so Barry and I had conversations with each other as the weeks would go by, and it was significant. One day I finally said, hey, Barry, we're having a church picnic. You want to just kind of hang out with a bunch of people like me? No, it sounds scary, but would you be okay with that? Barry shows up, and you know what? He, and Barry's a salt-of-the-earth guy. Uh, I mean, just salt-of-the-earth kind of a guy. We were not a lot alike, really. But we became, we became friends even in the midst of our differences. And so Barry comes, and you know where he gravitates? Right over to the grill, where all the grills, where all of these guys, sleeves rolled up, and you know, just kind of salt-of-the-earth guys are grilling, and they're telling their stories of their life. And Barry discovered that there were people that followed Jesus that were just like him. And I, I had to say to myself, thank you, God, for a church filled with an array of people, all of whom are different, so that even the people different than me can see that it's the same for others. That's the value of being able to invite people in. Now, here's one thing I have to say to you. If I invite my friends into our church, some of them don't look like us. I mean, some of my friends don't look like any of us. Are you okay with that? And so when you invite your friends here, and they don't, they don't really 
act like we do. Are we going to be that place? We've decided to invite people to be a part of us. Now we decide to live it out in a way. When someone crazy comes to your family gathering because your kid brought them, do you kick them out? No, you don't even ask them awkward questions. You just say, hey, come on in. Here we are. And we love them, and it doesn't matter where they're from or what, you know, what they think. Let's be that place, okay? And then there is this other piece of it, and that is to offer new life, new life offer that the gospel is actually communicated and responded to. This is one of those rich moments <laughs> when, when everything in a person's life changes because someone has explained to them, you know what, it's just simply about this. This is the gospel. It is a new life. You can now be a new creation. God is good and he is beautiful. God tells us the truth about our brokenness. God restores our relationship with him through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And God invites us onto a life that is filled with adventure, that we actually lay it out and we say, I jumped in on this. How about you? Remember when Emad was with us a number of years ago and we had him as a part of our family and we traveled up to see my folks and he came back, we were driving back down in the car and Emad came from a culturally religious place and I just said, Emad, let me just explain to you what this is about, what it is really about. It's not about all of those trappings, it's about Jesus. And I said, Emad, do you want that? And he said, Mark... He says, I think I do. I'm not quite ready yet. It wasn't long before somebody else in our church asked him the same question. Life totally changed. New life. Here it is. Just simply let people know what it is. And then the last G is growth, to be part of their growing up. It's not just that they come to life in Christ, they grow up. We nurture our kids and we have the joy and the thrill of watching them grow and develop. And this is what Jesus wants for us as well too. For us to be a part of this adventure where people come to life and then we get to be there with them. I had a friend of mine named Joe and he, he was just culturally uh, Christian and, uh, but then he, he I, I shared the gospel with him one time and he said, there's nobody in my family that really understands that it's about that. Still, it was hard for him. And we would get together and I said, Joe, are you, what are you thinking about giving your life to Christ? And Joe said, you know, I'm not good enough yet, Mark. And he said, you know, Joe, that's not it. None of us are good enough for it. Eventually, he gave his life to the Lord. And he was a businessman. And everybody in his business saw the difference it made in his life. I remember the day where we were learning together about prayer. And we read all of the stuff about what prayer is like and talking to God. And I said, okay, Joe, let's pray now. And so here, how is it going to go? It's just like a conversation with God. And let me just get us started. And then you can jump in. And I said, Lord, Joe's here. <laughs> and uh, he wants to talk to you now. So go ahead, Joe. <laughs> And Joe prayed. And I heard a conversation with God that was far richer than 
the ones I have had. Because here was a guy who was talking to the person who had forgiven him for the first time, and it was real. There are not many things more exhilarating than that. And that's what God gives to us. Christianity is not boring when we actually walk into the realities of our calling. And it is not that complicated. It actually can fill our life with joy and worship like we've never known before. So you have here your next step. And the reason why God woke you up this morning and put you here is because he wants you to go out knowing what your next step is. I don't know what it is. But you do, or I trust that you will as we close our time up. And Daniel's going to come and lead us in song. But ask that question. What's my next step? I do not want my Christian life to be boring. I want to live in the fullness of my calling. What will it be for me? every single one of us in this room. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this invitation for us to be about something that is so remarkable and transformative, not only for us, but for others as well too. Lord, help us to glory in the gospel and give us the courage to walk into our calling. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.